0: Thank mm-hmm. wasn't really that long ago that doctors and nurses and plenty of frontline staff felt it was extremely important to distinguish themselves from the bean counters, as finance people were so fondly called. Maybe some of them are still referred that to that way. Clinical people took care of patients and finance people took care of the hospital's bottom line. There was kind of a bright line separating what were considered two completely different sets of skills, mindsets, missions, and priorities. This the luxury of not having to think about costs on one side or on the other, not having to think about the challenges of safely caring for patients has, of course, now been challenged in multiple ways over the past few decades, but it's only recently that the need to put it all together is gaining ground and trust. This new world of global value-based pay- payments is, of course, a primary driver But improving care and in ways that are more patient-centered and more efficient ways of doing things are becoming all part of the same plan. Or perhaps put another way, costs and quality are everyone's headache and everyone's opportunity. They have to combine into one strategy, as we'll be discussing on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you biweekly and also for your latest listening and convenience. You can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes in an archived fashion. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. On this edition of WIHI, we are featuring just two of the almost 50 organizations that have recently worked with IHI I should say on taking waste and wasted dollars out of their systems. But these two organizations have pursued their goals in a way that's impressive, original, and instructive, so we want to get right to them and to our topic today. But first, a reminder uh, that we do welcome your tweeting about what you hear on WIHI, either during or after the program, and if you can, uh, please include at IHI in your tweets, and that way we can bring others from the improvement community who follow IHI on Twitter into this conversation. Let me now introduce our guests and a reminder that they have longer bios and all sorts of achievements and commendations. Uh, on our WIHI webpages as well as um, on their own organization's websites. Norman Dasher, Jr., is Chief Executive Officer of Acute Care Troy and Vice President of St. Peter's Health Partners at Northeast Health in Troy, New York. Previously, he served as the Chief Executive Officer of the Patient Care Division and Executive Vice President of Northeast Health. Welcome, Norm. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Terrific. Catherine Abbott is the Administrator for Performance Improvement at Hackensack University Medical Center in Bergen County, New Jersey. Kathy works collaboratively with the Vice President, Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer, the Performance Improvement Department, Patient Safety and Operations to support Hackensack's hospital-wide quality and patient safety initiatives. Great to have you on the program, Kathy.
1: Thank you. Good to be
0: here. Terrific. Lucy Savitz is the Director of Research and Education, Intermountain Healthcare, Institute for Healthcare Delivery Research in Salt Lake City. Lucy has over two decades of applied health services research experience and has been faculty for IHI's Cost and Quality Initiative. She's part of the faculty lineup again for a program we'll tell you more about later on that's taking place at Intermountain in March. Welcome, Lucy.
2: Thank
0: you very much. Happy to be here. All right, and IHI's own Kathy Luther, who I know I just saw in the hallways yesterday here, but she slips in and out. She's back in uh, her home state of uh, Texas. And uh, Kathy is IHI's vice president for hospital portfolio planning and administration. She's been knee deep in our work with close to 50 organizations the past few years, focused on improving quality and reducing costs. As I was saying, as one integrated strategy. So. I'm so glad, Kathy, that you're part of today's program.
3: Thank you, Ben. It's good all to be
0: here. All right. So, we start with Kathy first. And um, the way I want to kick this off is uh, sort of some, with some framing. So, there are a couple of contexts for today's discussion, including this imperative to marry quality efforts with cost reduction and equally the reverse, coming at it in all directions. I often think about, uh, I'll paraphrase something that Don Berwick has often said, which is how do we eliminate waste and inefficiencies um, by improving care and without harming a hair on a patient's head. So operationally speaking, these two streams have functioned quite differently in hospitals and have often been owned by very different people. That may still be the case but people are talking more, the cost people and the finance people. So I think that maybe was just an undergirth, uh, Kathy, to a lot of the work that you were doing. But what are we learning about bringing these streams and and these people together, these departments?
3: Well, uh, thanks, Madge. And just to set a little broader context, you're all aware of the talk of ACOs and affordable care and mergers and bundled payments, and I don't need to go through the list of Alphabet soup. But basically all of those are financial, structural, and administrative models. And no matter which one of them you're in right now or going into or thinking about, all of them will require less of something, less ICU days, less hospitalization days, um, shifting care to other kinds of settings, new Mm -hmm. care models. And really to be successful at this, it's not necessarily about what the the legal people and the financial people and the structural people put on organizational charts and into plans. It's really about what clinicians do at the bedside and in the emergency room and in case management and in the community and in clinic visits. And it's really about new care models where patients and clinicians and financial analysts really work together to make sure that we are achieving the results that um, we're really looking for. And our belief was always, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, and you'll see some real-life examples, was that the partnerships to make this work will be forged much closer to the front line and will be forged by clinicians and finance people, um, professionals working together to identify changes they're going to make and actually specifically tracking them in very robust ways.
0: Um, Thank you, Matt. Okay, Kathy, so um, maybe you can also uh, help set up just a bit more uh, the organizations we're going to hear from. Um, As I referenced, uh, they've been part of something larger called uh, Impact and Cost and Quality. So could you give us just kind of a thumbnail sketch of the initiative and why it was and actually remains so important?
3: Sure. Um, Well. what we're going to summarize is a few things from what we call a two-year proto- prototyping collaborative. We started with 40 organizations in the first year. We had about 20 um, in the second year. Um, some of them returned. We had some new teams join us, and I see some of the folks that are actually part of the collaborative um, that have joined us on the call today, so welcome to them. Uh and they worked together, and you're going to hear um, from some very specific organizations about what they did. But I am really uh, want to highlight a couple things. Um, those who didn't return said a couple things to us. First of all, some of them were very small critical access hospitals who said finances was really um, traveling and those sorts of things were a were barrier for them. Many of them said they did not return because they lacked organizational focus or they had leadership changes. And I want you to hear from Nora today about how critical leadership is in this work. This is um, certainly about the front lines, certainly about financial analysts, but we really found that leaders were critical in setting the stage, making it important, and helping to drive the changes. Um, we also saw in this work over 60 organizations the model worked in all types of settings, academic medical centers, mid-size and small community hospitals. We had home care organizations that were very successful, freestanding ambulatory surgery, um, clinic settings. And we actually had an international, um, audience. We had some teams working with us from Canada and Sweden. Even though the payment models are different, the processes were very, very similar. Um, the folks you're going to hear from today, I could have picked any of these. You're going to hear from two um, organizations, uh, one very large academic medical center, one smaller community hospital, and how they um, did this, but I want you to understand this works in in any kind of setting, no matter where you are in your clinical work. Um, What we did was we set about with an aim, and the aim was to take 1% of operating costs out of the system while maintaining or improving quality. Now, that came from industry. And as you know, at IHI, we very often go out to industry and look to see what, what they do. And about six years ago, um, Maureen Vendignano, who's our president, and um, Tom Nolan, who is one of our chief senior fellows and advisors, went out to industry and talked about waste Before, we started talking about it in healthcare. But they said, what do you think about and for-profit companies think about every year, how can we get our costs down by 1%? How can we find a way 1% to 2% and take it out year upon year upon year? And interestingly enough, healthcare now finds ourselves maybe even ramped up a little harder um, than that, but we find ourselves in that same thing. We wondered if we could actually bring this to bear in real organizations and what it would take to get it done. So we selected an approach. We had various settings. We asked the settings to identify specific projects, find 1%, what's that dollar amount. We asked them, could they really involve frontline staff, and could they partner physicians and and clinicians and finance to understand metrics together so that it wasn't clinicians saying, yeah, we did it, and finance saying, I don't see it at the bottom line. And um, the content was based on actually two white papers, which are there for your reference. And it was really interesting to us to work with these teams and the examples that you're going to hear in a few moments. Could we take what was in white papers and what was ideas and could we make it real and could we bring it home to specific organizations? So with that, Madge, I was Mm -hmm. going to get right on with our oh. presenters so folks can hear real-life
0: examples. All right. That's terrific. Thanks so much, Kathy Luther. Great setup. So, um, <clears throat> Norm, we'll turn to you now uh, from Northeast Health. Um, in one write-up about the work, I read that you took advantage of IHI's waste identification tool. Um, so that's something we want to also remind people of. And, again, as a reminder, we always have all our resources um compiled into a nice resource document that will be posted to IHI.org all by tomorrow morning. And uh, one of the things I loved about you, just the little bit of your story that I've uh, become acquainted with is that you uh, went out and uh, you sort of used this waste identification tool, and you you asked staff about day-to-day waste. Tell us, you know, what is that? And you got some 300 suggestions. So that does sound like a great beginning, and I thought you could kick us off by telling us what kinds of things did the staff tell you about?
4: Sure. It. Um, it, it The 300 suggestions were a wide range of things, and after we received the suggestions, we actually spent a fair amount of time trying to put them in categories and identifying where the bulk of the uh, staff observations really fell. So we we summarized the information, but it it really, um, I think one of the most important things was it gave staff a sense of empowerment, that they weren't just hearing that we have to cut costs, we have to reduce expenses that they actually had a say in it because in large organizations, as in any business, people see and do things every day and they question, why are we doing this? Why Why do I do the same thing over and over when, when I don't feel that it adds value or I feel like I'm wasting my time or my time could be better spent? And we had uh, examples, for example, of our IT system printing out reports to areas that didn't even use the reports. And we had a staff member show up at a meeting with a box of <laughs> Xerox paper that was completely printed with information that their department had no interest in and had just thrown away over time. So the idea of getting the staff directly involved and being able to contribute is something that the staff felt very, very uh, empowered about, and it was very powerful for them. And it also helped us to address some of the little things that drive people crazy, Uh, whether it was a supply that we thought we were saving money on, that because it was inferior they had to use three instead of one good one. Or, as I said, whether it was wasting copies of paper or surgical trays that had three things in it that were never used, we got to a very granular level where people could say, this isn't something in my department that you would never know about that is uh, my contribution to helping us identify waste.
0: So, it what sounds it? like an important uh, a way also to get people early on in, engaged in the process. So you did decide to kind of set your sights on certain areas and uh, tell us about that uh, what what you did decide to focus on in the organization and how that work ensued
4: well we're very fortunate that we just we have a, a really outstanding director of performance improvement. Um, Sue Vitolins and an outstanding medical director, um, Dan Silverman, who really helped drive the agendas for us, whether it was at the medical staff executive committee or throughout the hospital. And we've been involved with IHI since 2005 and, and we're, we've continued to develop this culture of um, eliminating waste, but really focusing on what we need to do to um, improve the quality. Uh, Dr. Silverman, um, was very aggressive in working with the medical staff on a couple of things. I mean, everybody hears and, and focuses on antibiotic stewardship, which is certainly a, a major initiative for us and continues to be. But he also identified that we're actually using too much blood also. And, um, you know, everybody everybody that's ever watched a medical TV show knows type and cross batch two units of blood. Well, the reality is most people don't need two units of blood in ordinary circumstances. So. Dr. Silverman, through his research, um, was able to implement new protocols throughout our hospitals, and um it result, the year-to-date savings is almost $600,000 just in decreased blood utilization. Mm. But more important than the cost, people are no longer receiving blood that shouldn't be receiving blood, mm-hmm. and over-blooding is as much of a problem as over-drugging. Yeah, and that's been a, that's been a very significant improvement for us. All right. Um, that's, that's the one on the top of the
0: sheet, that, yep. uh-huh. uh, and
4: I don't know how much more you want me to get into on well,
0: that. Well, no, that's fine. Why don't we just kind of summarize? I'm sure our our uh, folks joining us today may have some questions about the particulars, but that overview um, is great. And the next one, I think, has and, to do with behavioral health services. I'm sorry, is there yeah, a... Yes, so...
3: Kathy? so Go no, ahead. This is Kathy. If I could jump in here, you'll see a nice example here of how they chose their 1%, $2 million. You already heard... Um, Norm discussed how they went top to bottom in their organization to find all this. They got their physician champions involved. And I think the next one is really interesting, the one-to-one um, um, in behavioral health milieu, um, That really came from, as I remember, Norm, one of the technicians who said, I think there's a better way we could do this. They worked with the physician and were able to decrease that by about 50%, which is about a, almost $100,000 savings right there. And you can see they have the quality measure for everything that they've set up here. So I just wanted to put a little context around that for those on the call to just say um, this is how they really set it up. These are the key projects. Norm did a wonderful job of saying how they engaged their positions. And um, this is sort of a listing of the things that added up to their $2 million. One thing we did learn, and I didn't stress it enough, is there's not one bullet here. It takes four or five or six or eight projects and things to, to get to your 1%. And um, I think you'll hear from all the presenters today is how they're constantly looking for those and finding them and putting dollar values to them and adding them up.
0: So thanks, Madge. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Kathy, I appreciate that. So, Norm, maybe just uh, describe uh, what went on with behavioral health services and also with the ICU mobility and sedation.
4: Sure. On the um, behavioral health, that's a prime example of a staff member that um, was sitting outside the room on a one-on-one, and it dawned on the staff member that after hearing all the talk about reduction of costs and, and need to be more efficient, came forth to the manager and said, "We're we're wasting time and money here." And um, it, it's it was something that we just thought part of the problem in healthcare is we all do things, we've all been doing things a certain way for a long, long time. We think we're different, and we think we're, we're this is the way we have to do it. And one of the things that we strive to instill in our staff is that as the world changes and evolves, we need to identify a new way to do things, and that's exactly what the staff member did. They changed the criteria for one-on-one. The um, Once a one-on-one is ordered, when it is ordered, there's criteria for reviewing it Um every several hours to make sure it's still appropriate and needed, and also make sure that uh, it wasn't ordered for the sake of convenience because maybe staffing wasn't as rich that day as, as it could have been.
0: So that's a um, one-staff that, member to one patient, is that what you're saying?
4: That's right. It's yes. a one-on-one okay. sitting there observing the patient. I get it. Okay. Right.
0: okay, Okay. just be sure. Thank you. And then
4: the yep. ICU? The ICU really had to do with um, standardizing our protocols. We're, we're very much... Um, we, we talk all the time about variation, variation being the enemy of quality, the need to reduce variation, standardize our process, and um, standardizing the sedation, um, as well as making sure we get people out of bed. We're now, we're, we're now walking people while they're on ventilators, which a couple of years ago I, I think people would have thought was crazy, but we're actually doing that now. It's reduced. Uh, we haven't had a VAP uh, at our hospitals in over three years. Mm-hmm. Um, We adopted the the VAP bundle years ago, but um, getting people up, the medication uh, vacation, the sedation vacation, as well as mobility, um, has dramatically improved um, the condition with um, the patients in ICU in terms of mobility.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Very uh, wonderful highlights. And again, uh, everyone joining us, um, if you're only with us by phone and not uh, looking at some of the visuals we have, um, you can get them by emailing info at IHI.org. Um, and uh reminder, everyone who is logged on as well, when you get off the WebEx today, you're prompted if you want to save these slides. Um, so moving on from Norm, thank you. Kathy Abbott uh, over in New Jersey. So from a smaller community hospital uh, to Hackensack, uh, as we think of in the intense New York metro area in Bergen County, New Jersey, um, so maybe you could kick off uh, your remarks by um, giving us a sense of what it's like to get this cost and quality work going. Uh, everyone rowing in the same direction in an academic uh, teaching hospital.
1: Yes, and I'd like to say congratulations to Norm also. He's done some wonderful work um, here at uh, Hackensack. We're uh, seven to seven 700- hundred. 75-bed facility um, serving northeast Jersey, and uh, we have a cancer center, children's hospital and a variety of uh, inpatient services and outpatient services. So we um, decided we'd need to focus in on uh, cost and quality um, because we wanted to improve quality, but at the same time, we realized there was an opportunity to try and quantify some of the savings that we had attached to it. Um, so we got together a, a team uh, from operations finance um patient care, um, and, uh, and we really wanted to meet on a regular basis and, and look at what are some of the things we wanted to focus on um, for improving quality and, and savings. So we looked at some key projects that we thought were important here, such as CLABSIs in the ICUs, blood usage, as Norm had mentioned, um, antibiotic, antibiotic stewardship and epigen usage, and looking at, although there might not be a large cost savings, certainly process improvement opportunity for improperly labeled specimens. And then our newer focus will be on quality. On that's another area we want to focus on some more. Um, we, we realize that in a larger facility, um, it does take time to make changes, and there's certainly a, a, a lot of opportunity. Um, we knew that we'd have to involve... The finance department early, so a vice president of finance was brought on board as part of an initial small team. Um, and we we wanted to really understand things from the finance perspective, and finance wanted to understand things from the clinical perspective. We thought we could learn from one another and help one another in uh, identifying where improvement opportunities lie, and then how can we can we estimate what savings we you know have as a result of that. Um, we wanted to look at um, uh, the Clabsies. Uh, we had some some good decreases uh, from 2010 to 2011, and continuing into 2012. Um, we had estimated that we probably, um, by just looking at the the cost avoidance, um, the equipment, the nurses' time, direct and indirect costs, and the um, potential for reducing the length of stay by not having additional time in the hospital due to infections, um, we would. Uh, have about, say, $3 million savings to date. Um, And for um, the reduction of epigen usage, uh, our estimate is that we had about a a 5% decrease, which is a smaller amount in 2012, about $21,000. But we did save about $715,000 the year before as we looked at the appropriate usage of epigen. um, And and how we can uh, make sure that there was evidence-based practice involved. Um, And there was also at the same time, though, a shortage of this product, too, um, which also made us look more critically at who really needs this. Um, Reduction of blood usage was another area like norm that we thought was important for reasons of preventing harm, um, and we looked at um, revising our protocols, Um, creating uh, CPOE, educating the physicians widely about um, how we don't need two units, um, and even if we need one, look carefully to see if we really need that. So we estimate our savings um, for um, the first year was about $61,000. It was a very modest uh, savings there. But this year we estimate about $200,000 year-end 2012 by reducing our usage of um, blood products, PAC red blood cells. Um, although we don't have a number attached to uh, improperly labeled specimens, again, that's more of a process improvement that's in place. We know that's going to be certainly a satisfaction issue and um, less rework. Um, and those are um, some of the key areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, our antibiotic stewardship um, really has um, has really um, also grown. We've estimated about a million dollars the first year. This past year in 2012, about a $690,000 savings by appropriately having uh, a process in place where pharmacists intervene with physicians and uh, review um, what the orders are for the antibiotics and uh, determining whether or not this will um, improve patient care. Do we have improved sensitivity of the antibiotics, to the microorganisms that they're trying to treat, and, and and that communication back and forth is really key.
0: Thank you very much. So, uh, Kathy, uh, thank you, Kathy Abbott and Kathy Luther. Is there? Did we want to make sure that Kathy Abbott spoke to us a little bit about either some surprises or the excitement around staff just before we go to Lucy?
1: Yeah,
0: that'd be great. <laughs> okay. That'd be great, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If
1: I could just mention, yes, um, we did have some nice um, surprises in that the staff are really excited um, about finding that initially, although they thought it would be very difficult to, to make some of these changes, such as reducing uh, CLBSI, um, that uh, they can see incrementally over time it was really counting days since last infection, understanding our target was zero, um, but... And, and many who thought that might be really difficult with complex patients, but as we saw those numbers go down and they could see that this is uh, really possible, measuring and monitoring that they were really becoming more excited, and it became almost um, the excitement of well how 's one comparison against another unit and to see how many um, units had so many days out since the last infection, um, and I think that, that small bit of competition with the transparency helps spur it on others to say, well, well we can do this too, um, and that teamwork really um, became um, a, a key piece of it. They really came together and understood if we work together, we can achieve this for our patients. If one person doesn't follow all elements of a bundle, um, then there's a failure, and the patient. Could be harmed from that, so they really um, came together, understanding that it really does take the team to make this happen.
0: Okay, and were there any surprises? Just, just quickly, uh, any surprises that we're throwing out there?
1: Yeah, we we really were um, really pleasantly surprised in terms of the the amount of of, of savings. Um, I think that we think in terms of you know improving patient care, but I don't think the staff initially connected that there's really high cost attached to this um, and the opportunities um, when they when they learn this really spurs them on to realize, you know, this really is something that can improve in, in a number of ways. So what we do, focusing on quality, helps the patients, but it also does help with efficiency, too.
0: Yeah, wow, wonderful. Well, thank you for that very uh, cogent uh, summary of everything that you've been doing and look forward to some of the questions folks might have uh, for Lucy and Norm and, and Kathy, and um, I will... Um, so, yeah, Kathy, Kathy, and, and Norm, and now Lucy Savitz, sorry. So Lucy Savitz, we'll move over to you out to Salt Lake City. So you have this interesting background in health services research as well as in financial planning, so that seems kind of perfect for what we're talking about on WIHI Today. Um, you've b- been looking at all these teams and uh, trying to sort of see how you sort of build that shared brain in a way. Uh, uh, how hard was that? How hard is that uh, still? And uh, let, let's start there. And then I've just a follow up question for you.
2: Sure. Um, and, and happy to be here. And I, I really appreciate the comments made by Norman, Kathy, um, and Kathy as well. And I'll, I'll try and echo some of that in, in what I'm about to say. But I think the, the hardest thing for people to get their heads around is to even open their minds to the. Um, necessity to include the finance people on their quality improvement teams. And the recognition of just basic barriers to that happening, even when you do include them on the teams, there are basic language barriers. And so the the whole idea of bringing different disciplines together is really having sort of shared ground and establishing the trusting relationships. You know, one of the biggest problems, Kathy referred to some of the um, cost savings um, calculations they had done, it's hard to get the finance people to believe it if they haven't been involved in generating those numbers, especially when you start looking at capturing indirect savings. Or in some cases, um, an example of that would be, say you shortened length of stay and you were able to bring in a higher-paying patient into that bed That typically only works for places that are operating at um, near full capacity. But again, those are the kinds of things that seem really sort of mushy to the finance people, but if they're involved in generating that data, it becomes much more believable and then sellable to the organization. So I think that's the first main lesson that we've seen working with these teams over time. The other thing is everybody wants, what's the silver bullet? What's like the one thing I can do? How can I do this and, and get it done and check it off my list? And the thing that um, is hard for people to accept is this is a journey, you know. <laughs> this is not going to happen overnight, and it's not a one-shot deal, and it's not a one-time effort. This is ongoing work that we're all doing, including Intermountain Healthcare, where I work, <laughs> Um, and we 've been doing it for a long time, so I, I think that that 's an important those two points are the most important things is really including the finance people on the team as an engaged member of that team, um, and the points that, you know that I think that um, both Norm and Kathy raised is, you know, this is really a team effort. They're not doing it alone, um, so they're part of that team. And then the second part is it's a journey.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Just a very quick uh, follow-up to you, and then we are going to open things up for the chat. Mm-hmm. Everyone, thanks for your patience. So we heard from a smaller community hospital, a major uh, academic teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. How similar or, or different uh, were the issues that a lot of the teams uh, in cost and Quality in this initiative we're facing. Uh, did people find out, in, in fact, that they had uh, more things in common than they might have thought?
2: Well, I think that there is a lot of commonality. Um, and that's one thing that we learned in sort of working across organizations. And in fact, some of the things that we learned from some of the smaller freestanding hospital facilities um, are very useful to large, fully integrated delivery systems. The, the issue is, is that, for example, I'm at Intermountain Healthcare, a fully integrated delivery system. We have advantages from that that they wouldn't have at a smaller facility or a freestanding facility or even at an academic medical center. So, for example, one of the examples Kathy asked me to point out is how we've integrated mental health um, into primary care. Um, And we have a published paper on this that shows the cost analysis and how we calculated that. We showed, you know, reduced length of stay, reduced unnecessary um, visits to the ED. Um, We showed uh, avoided admissions for psychiatric purposes because we were able to implement this in an outpatient setting. That revolves around a team-based approach that's managed by a nurse care manager in the clinics, which is a, a position that's not reimbursable. You can't charge for that Service, we were able, because we had good cost capture data, to take that to our own health plan, show them the data, and we had involved finance people in this process so that the data were believable to them, and then they went around, went ahead and subsidized that role in the clinics. So the data can be used, one, to just actually reduce waste out of your delivery system and get to these dark green dollars we talk about, but it also can be used to. Um, make deals basically with insurers in your community. And, and it requires that the data is good and solid, not just believable by your internal finance people, but these external groups that you're trying to get subsidization for. So I think that there, um, there are important reasons why we do it. And we're not just doing it for, for cost savings. The MHI example that I'm giving you um, has many other very positive outcomes related to better health care for the patient's and managing our population. So mm-hmm. if you think about the triple aim, we achieved all, thing, all three things, you know, better health for the population, better care for individual patients, and, and lower cost, basically.
0: Wow, that's great, Lucy. This is really, really helpful. I want to make sure uh, we're, we're now going to open things up for the chat, but uh, maybe, Lucy, I don't, I don't want to make you multitask, but uh, maybe you could, uh, if you feel like it, you could just chat in the name of that paper or maybe you could just say it uh, to me right now and we'll make sure to get the reference for it and get it in the resource document. When was that paper published?
2: It was in Health Affairs, I believe, in 2010. We've got it on the um, Impacting Cost and Quality Resource site. Okay. And and I'll send you a copy of the article so that you can post it. Okay. And I would also say for those who are interested, and Kathy may talk about this later, but we are having an in-person meeting March 13th through the 15th here in Salt Lake City for those people who want to do a deep dive on some of these specific examples of how we've improved cost and improved quality and lowered cost.
0: Right. Right. Terrific. No, absolutely. We're we're very excited about that as well. And uh, you could hear much more from uh, Lucy as well at that uh, event, um, along with uh, Kathy Luther, Jill Duncan, and some other very, very fine people who are part of that. So, all right, we hope we sort of set the table with some uh, important work that's going on, some framing And uh, John, just uh, very, very quickly want to remind people uh, about the chat.
5: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Some good questions popping up already, uh, but just make sure that you send to all participants, and that way that Madge and I and everybody uh, on the phone and on WebEx can uh, see what you're asking. Thanks.
0: All right. Thanks, John. And first question, uh, Gerald is out of the box early, and he's asking whether information technology – uh, is playing a part. Is it helping uh, with leveraging these goals, with gathering data, scheduling, staffing, um, all of it? Uh, so anybody want to take in the, or take on the IT piece in some of uh, cost and quality? Uh, Kathy, maybe you have some overview of that as, as in terms of the work that we've witnessed to date?
3: Um, sure, I will start and um, then maybe turn it back to um, Lucy. Anybody on the panel could certainly address that. IT is very helpful um, in this process in terms of tracking, in terms of um, learning um, where costs are and those sorts of things. But what we really found was just as helpful was having um, financial analysts in their own system learn to speak the language of clinicians and learn to um, use the IT systems available to build models that were different than VRG based or um, diagnosis-based. Clinicians would often talk about patients with multiple diagnosis or, as you heard from Lucy, um, patients with behavioral health needs. And how do you sort those patients out in your system and how does IT help you track them and manage them in in different ways? So um, I think IT certainly plays a role in this. And um, I don't know if Lucy, Lucy, do you want to answer to that?
2: Sure, I I would like to. So, you know, we believe at Intermountain, and I think for all of our systems that are able to measure both, you know, financial outcomes and quality outcomes, the IT systems are essential. You've got to have the data um, to be able to do it. But I think in terms of improvement initiatives, which may be more about the question that's being asked, there's some really interesting initiatives that have been put in place um, that have been IT-based. The problem is, is the – Depending on the IT, it can be very expensive. And so if you're trying to get to, like, a return on investment or something like that, you need a longer time horizon because the upfront cost can be high. I will tell you that we've got a major initiative around telemedicine because of some of the the geographic um, distances that we're trying to, you know, um, bring specialty services to. Um, And and telemedicine has proven to be a very cost-effective option for us. And then um, for our folks at Presbyterian who are on the phone, I was just at a meeting at Phoenix where they highlighted their um, hospital-at-home initiative and some of the IT services and supports around that. EICUs are another one that I've seen that have been very productive and
0: cost-effective. Okay. Thanks, Lucy. Well, Norm, uh, let me start with you and then uh, Kathy Abbott. Uh, just, just any thoughts at all about the role of IT and, in all its guises uh, in, in, uh, across some of the efforts that you highlighted for us?
4: Well, the, the one IT area that I would really focus on is um, the cost accounting element of tracking where your uh, savings are. And, and we're fortunate in that we have a very robust cost accounting system. And um, that helps guide us to uh, so that we're not spinning our wheels on, on things that maybe aren't as important as some of the, the big dollar things. And we have the ability at a granular level to see what, what physicians in the emergency room are ordering, what the comparison is based on who orders what medications, who orders what um, number of uh, radiologic exam, lab work, and so and so. We can bring that data back and show the physicians where they stand within the pack and and use that as a a tool to um, help them improve their practice. But the cost accounting system throughout is, from my perspective, very, very important because if you don't know what your costs are, it's very difficult to say this is where we are and this is where we want to be. Mm-hmm. So the IT involvement that we have used um, primarily in this effort is our own cost accounting system helping to identify. And there's, there's a story that we have here that goes back a while, but we were, like everybody else, trying to reduce costs associated with um, lenses for cataract surgery, and we are beating up on the vendors and, and, and working with the doctors and trying to get the cost down, and then we realized we were spending more on drops associated with the lenses than we were actually spending on the lenses, and that we should have been focusing on the medication drops rather than the lenses, because that's where the money was. And that that's an example of why it's so important to actually know what your costs are so you know where to focus.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, if this is Lucy, if I could just Go add ahead. to that yep. point. Um you know, but I don't want people to think that you can't do this work without a cost you know, if you don't have a cost accounting system because most people don't. Um, and so please don't think that that's an absolute requirement to move forward in this direction. And we've talked about that, you know, in our journey on impacting cost and quality. But we also have a, a cost accounting system. Um, the thing I would say is not just for the kinds of improvement efforts that Norm just talked about, but also as reimbursement's changing and we're moving to episodic bundle payments, shared savings, um, you know, global budgeting, um, capitation Cost accounting systems are going to be essential for us to sort of price correctly.
1: And, uh, if I can add Yeah, some go hack-
0: right and, ahead, Kathy, Kathy we, Abbott. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Sure. We 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 have a fairly new electronic medical record system, and it is very helpful for running reports. So, for instance, in the improvement efforts to run a report and see how many fully catheters are in on the nursing units, um, the nurses and the infection control department were extremely helpful, but having those reports available um, through IT, um, IT can contribute to uh, more of a, uh, of a more real-time view of, of the work that you need to do. Um, and also for blood usage, too, um, they revised protocols, so having a CPOE, an electronic medical record to indicate some criteria right there and best practice alerts that can be um, put through the system to the provider um, and That's very helpful to us also in our efforts. We have in our system, too, what we call a Partners in Care um, Multidisciplinary Rounds tool, MDR tool, in which we identify certain safety elements that when they do rounds, these are the areas that you can focus on. So it's, you know, are the fall precautions in place, pressure ulcers, any lines in, can they come out? Um, And there's like 11, 12 items, and, and it can be customized more, but we have those available to refer to it during the rounds to focus in quickly on, on what are the things. So CAUTI and CLABSI, for instance, are, are a key area where you look to see can the line come out today, so it's a daily question. Mm. Um, and that is more of a, a summary report in the system right. that you can refer to just those safety elements instead of going through the whole
0: record to look for things. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, Kathy Luther, You have you wanted to make a comment.
3: Yeah, I did, and just for those on the on the phone, um, you heard some examples of, of um, very specific projects in specific areas. Um, I wanted to um, tell you, and obviously we couldn't have all 60 participants on the phone. You can tell it's a deep and rich group, but we also saw organizations who took a whole value stream across a condition, uh, community-acquired pneumonia, heart surgery, um, a whole service line, and really worked that way with their clinicians in identifying ways, what was happening in the outpatient, could they begin to move things differently, um, how did that begin to work. It was a completely different approach, um, but it it also worked very, very well, depending on how the organizations are structured. And I think some of our colleagues from Presbyterian are on the line now, and they're one of the exemplars of of this work. Um, We had a team from um, one of the Kaiser facilities who looked at, community-acquired pneumonia, and what they really learned was because they were able to link up their data system, they learned patients who are hospitalized with community-acquired pneumonia actually touched the system up to three times in many cases looking for treatment. They didn't feel well. They weren't so sure, and but by the time they got to the hospital, there was nothing they could do but admit them and care for them that way. So it really helped them think through their care and how they began to move and, and take these patients and treat them in very different ways as they were touching their system in alternate places. So I just wanted to um, uh-huh. let the callers know that there are different approaches to um, this work.
0: Thank you, uh, Kathy Luther. So I want to um, – there's a question for Monica and some of this started to be addressed in terms of uh, not uh, making this uh, a a barrier if you don't have a a nice uh, cost accounting system. Uh, But uh, Norm, uh, Monica is wondering, what did you do to convince uh, leadership to implement this? And maybe I'll use that also as a segue to uh, ask um, for some thoughts from all of you about leadership and the crucial role that that plays. But Norm, uh, was that a a high bar uh, to, to, to Get that kind of a system, or was it there? <laughs> it
4: was, and and believe me, it, it was a, a nuisance to implement. And beginning at the beginning, where we've got uh, staff members walking around with charge stickers on their lapels, so they would remember to put them on the uh, appropriate place, so we could calculate the charges. But I wouldn't. I, I think yeah. some people avoid it because they think it has to be absolutely perfect. I mean, if you get it, if you get your cost within a range of an estimate, it doesn't have to be to the penny. You you get a very clear idea quickly as to where the money is going. But just to address leadership a little bit, we are very fortunate in that uh, we actually had the chairwoman of our board of directors um, attend uh, the IHI annual meeting with us back in 2004. And um, she was just so inspired and and charged up from that point forward um, that began a cultural revolution in our organization. And at the same meeting, our chief financial officer was there and, um, she also She drank the Kool-Aid. She, she saw the direct relationship between cost and quality, and whether it's um, a, a pay, the cost associated with a patient fall or an infection, um, she got it right off the bat. So between the CFO and, and our board chair, um, we were really off and running. And um, the board chair came back. She changed the agenda of the board meeting so that we spent more time talking about quality than finances. She changed the format of our board quality meeting where we actually began bringing in patients who had bad patient experiences. And um, that just rippled through the organization, um, through the staff as well as the medical staff. So we've been fortunate about the leadership. But clearly, if people think that leadership don't value it, then they'll – They'll go on to the thing that they think is valued.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Norm. Kathy Abbott, I'm curious, maybe just building on Norm's thought, um, it's sort of in terms of getting things off the ground and building will, uh, leadership and leaders can be so important. I'm curious, as your work even becomes more sophisticated and you keep on this journey, what role do leaders play uh, at Hackensack, do you think, in, in kind of keeping keeping this going, keeping up the momentum?
1: I think it's a very important role. Um, three of our, our steering committee members, the initial group, are vice presidents. Um uh, operations and finance and quality, and, and right off the bat, that's important to have those leaders uh, involved. Um, but also, too, the, the results of what we're doing um, is reported on a regular basis to our Quality and Patient Safety Committee, which has board members on that committee and our CEO and COO. So um, they can see the progress in those clinical areas, um, and, and that's important that it does get uh, reported up um, so that they can see um, how they can support it further. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've, as I said, having that that team initially involved, they also know under their span of control who else they can pull into the effort to help it along. Mm -hmm. So the leadership is is really a key piece.
0: Great. Thank you. Lucy, I thought maybe I'd ask you this question uh, and everyone else uh, definitely jump in. Uh, It was one that was on my kind of back pocket, hip pocket question. Somebody wants to know, Uh, Jennifer, about um, where does this kind of work um, lead you in terms of partnering uh, across the continuum of care, uh, building uh, on this in the community? Uh, If we're talking about finance people and clinical people talking to one another and having more of a shared mindset, uh, we're trying to broaden that out uh, to be talking across the continuum as well. I'm wondering if that is, is a theme, was a theme, Lucy, and will increasingly become one.
2: Well, I, I would say yes to all, basically. Yes. <laughs> I, and the MHI example I gave is a really good example because for um, what we were looking at in particular was treatment of um, chronic depression. And there's a, you know, there's obviously a piece of community-based supports, There's a piece for outpatient services. There's a piece for ED services, and a piece for inpatient care. And and I sent you the citation to the paper. And again, you'll you'll have the PDF that you can post for the group, um, and how we looked at that. But um, I think the point that you're raising here and in, in this question is. As we're trying to achieve the triple aim, and and for some people moving into ACOs and we're taking, you know, more of a population health kind of focus, we also have to reach outside of the doors of our clinics and hospitals for community partners. Um, And in our MHI example, one of our uh, biggest community partners that has a substantial role is NAMI Utah, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, they offer peer counseling services. Um, we've provided supports to them so that they're direct linkages because we know when our patients leave our clinics or leave our hospitals, they, they need to function in the community. Um, and so that, those services um, are an important part of what we're looking at.
0: Thanks. I'm going to ask John. Thanks, Lucy. I'm going to ask John uh, just very quickly to make sure to, just in case people have to jump off early, Lucy alluded to uh, coming out there to see her in Intermountain. <laughs> you don't have to even just do this virtually. You can uh, sit down um, and uh, meet her and others um, at a kind of follow-on uh, to what's been going on in Cost of Quality. John?
5: Yeah, thanks, Madge. Uh, today we heard about some of the ways our friends at Intermountain, Hackensack, and St. Peter's are innovating and improving their way to lower Lower costs and better care. If your organization is ready to start its improvement journey, IHI is introducing a new seminar from the bedside to the balance sheet, engaging frontline and finance staff to lower costs and drive quality. This extensive seminar will provide your staff with the skills to improve clinical performance while lowering costs and will provide them with the knowledge and tools to plan and build capacity for the future. For more information, visit IHI.org backslash offerings, where you'll find a recording of last week's pre-seminar call hosted by Jesse McCall, whose email address is there. Jesse's here in the studio with us today. And uh, bedside to the balance sheet, as Madge mentioned, will be held this March 13th through 15th at Intermountain Medical Center in Salt Lake City. So go visit Lucy.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Visit Lucy. We should have used that as our on our, uh, banner there. Uh, and, uh, again, anyone on the phone, or if you didn't catch all that, uh, you can email info at i and get further information. Um, Kathy Luther wanted to address a, a question from Dana, which had to do with common language, uh, sort of developing, I guess, a kind of literacy across uh, clinicians and finance people so uh, that might uh, everyone might uh, know what each other is talking about. And maybe um, I can throw out there, uh, tie into that uh, question uh, from Jim for Kathy Luther, what steps and tactics appeal to MDs? and CFOs to support the work? Maybe a couple examples. So let's start with the sort of common language first, Kathy Luther.
3: Yeah, so these are great questions. I was starting to type a response to again, but I'll take them both. Um, what, what we found was, and, and Lucy and, and Norman and Kathy can certainly second this, is that um, finance people think in terms of spreadsheets, service lines, CRGs, diagnosis, all those things that come out of administrative databases. Clinicians think about patients with social needs. They think about frail elderly. They think about multiply complex patients, which means they have three or four things. So the same patient will look very ill to a clinician, but they will show up in the database um, of a finance person as having one specific um, disease. And the clinicians will say, You're crazy. That, I can't possibly solve all these problems this patient has in one day And um, the the finance folks say well the benchmark length to stay is two days and what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So when we got people to sit together and they just the clinicians began to describe their patients and the financial analyst said, Oh, oh, so they're over seventy, they come through the emergency room they have diabetes, but they also might have COPD and heart failure, I see. And they began to build what we call the model. And they began to build a model of those kinds of patients. How many were they? Where were they coming from? What were they coming for? And once they began to do that, the teams could work together then to improve care for that group of patients. Now, the interesting thing is if you started that in the hospital or in your home care or in your clinic, whatever setting, then what happened was, that had to leave them outside the walls of wherever they were. Typically, you had to go outside the ED, or as Lucy said, you had to go into the community begin to partner with somebody because things started much, much earlier. Um, and then to um, answer Jim's question, what we found with both of those things when they began speaking the same language the physicians started to trust the financial data, which in many cases they didn't trust it before. But they started to trust the financial data then they started to say, well, I don't need to do this if I could do that. And the, the financial folks could say, just like you heard from Norm, oh, well, the cost is in the eye drops. Well, I don't need to use that many. Or or we can not give as much blood. Or we could give blood in the clinic before the patient admitted. or." They began to think about things very differently. So, I know we're short on time, but um, mm-hmm. that was a pretty quick answer.
0: Um, okay, but that's very. But that's what we thought. Okay, well, thank you. Well, let me do this. Um, probably uh, this will be sort of part of our wrapping up right now. Um, I'm uh, Kathy. Sort of just gave some maybe good good thoughts, and we're we're leading you. Uh, Hope you'll just check out this next program coming up in March, and you'll also tell folks about the archived edition of this Wy which will all be posted by tomorrow. Norm, let me start with you, and then Kathy Abbott and Lucy, and just kind of what what happens next, what hills to climb next, Norm. So the next time I have you on WHI, you can uh, we'll, we'll have some uh, different slides up there. What what are you working on next, or how are you going to well, sustain? Yeah, go ahead.
4: We're certainly continuing on on the uh, cost identification issues. That's going to be a never-ending battle. Um, but what we've really changed gears now is many of the 300 suggestions that we received um, fell into the category of patient flow. And uh, when, when when we just look at the ordinary course of business and the daily life of a patient, um, it, it's if, if you can take a step back and be objective, it's amazing that we do things the way we do it, and which I think can be interpreted in, in sometimes an uncoordinated fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, respiratory therapy respiratory therapy goes to the floor to give the patient a treatment and they find out the patient's down an x-ray. Mm-hmm. Well, why didn't we schedule that? Why didn't we coordinate it? So we have a major system-wide initiative now focused on flow. And we want to, we're going to create a, a, a function within our hospital and then eventually within our, our four hospitals that will basically be the air traffic controller that helps us plan the patient's schedule and then make sure that we're there, someone is there looking at the schedule to implement it. But our next big, big focus is going to be on flow.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, and thanks, Norm, for all your contributions today and the hard work. Kathy, uh, obviously a, a lot to sustain here. Uh, you're, you're certainly well on your way and on a good trajectory. Uh, are there new things that you'll be adding to your work at Hackensack?
1: Yes, we will. Um, just a quick comment though on the common language. Um yep. you know, when your vice president starts to mention Scrub the Hub, you know you've achieved a certain uh, <laughs> level of success, I think, in, in all your projects. So it's good to have that uh, interaction with um, okay. clients too. But um, well, we're going to expand to uh, facilities beyond um, nursing homes beyond the walls of the hospital to look at um, how we can reduce harm and looking at CAUTI and readmissions um, and in how one contributes to the other. Um, and that's something that uh, really we want to focus in on is the readmissions and continue to sustain the other areas we have. Um, I agree with flow, but readmissions is going to be a, a key focus and working with uh, facilities outside.
0: All right, that's terrific. Thank you so much, and thank you, Kathy, for your hard work planning the program. Lucy?
1: Um, I
2: I would just like to thank everybody for their interest to um, say we're there with you. Um, I think, you know, this is an important community for us to share what we learn across all these organizations, Um, and and IHI does a wonderful job of um, convening such events, so I would like to thank IHI for doing this, because for all of us to survive, we really have to look at cost and include that in the equation of value as we're moving forward.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Lucy Savitz. And Kathy Luther, thank you uh, very, very much uh, for your role in helping plan the program today and bringing folks together. Uh, Jill Duncan, also, who's been involved, uh, mentioned some of our Canadian teams, um, which is, it looks like, Hotel Dieu and Markham Stouffville. I'm sorry, my glasses are sort of going sideways right now. I think I got that right, uh, but she chatted that in. And uh, if there are any other uh, cost and quality Quality teams, folks who've been part of this initiative, uh, go ahead and give us a shout-out on the chat before we uh, sign off. Kathy, uh, just any final words from you? Kathy Luther.
3: Um, I just want to thank all the um, participants who joined us today and certainly our panelists. Um, You'll see this as a broad and deep and rich community. And... um, What we're going to do, we're going to try when we visit Lucy at Intermountain, is to actually, in a three-day boot camp style fashion, set up organizations to begin to take this on themselves and um, learn from from what we've learned from. So, it's very exciting work. Um, We're um, getting deeper into it all the time. We really feel that this is where the rubber meets the road in healthcare reform. It's how clinicians think and act about patients and how we how we assess the
0: financials around that. So. Thanks very much. Okay. Thank you, Kathy Luther, Kathy Abbott, Lucy Savitz, and Norm Dasher. Uh, we, we do a lot of uh, correspondence and planning behind the scenes here, and then it all comes together when you, the audience, are part of the program. So do, as we've been sort of flashing a few slides up here, do take part in IHI's Facebook page. You can tweet, uh, throw in that hashtag IHI in there, uh, so we are sort of can find out uh, just the kinds of comments uh, that are out there in the tweetosphere. Fear and, um, or I should say, Twitter's fear. I don't actually know what that is. I'm sorry. Twitter sphere, something like that. But anyway, uh, just stay in touch with us. And uh, next up on WIHI on March 7th, program that I've entitled No Excuses, No Slack, the latest from the front lines on hand hygiene, uh, and uh, talk about uh, an integration of cost and quality. We know hand hygiene is fundamental. And uh, we're going to take a look and see uh, what's new on that front and what are some of the standard bearers up to uh, that we might look to for uh, closing the gap uh, in this Area and kind of bringing it home here on something that we know is a must and should be a no-brainer but has been complicated, so we're going to take a look at it. Reminder, you can download the chat and any slides we use for our discussion today when you log off. If you were only on by phone, just ask for those things at info at IHI.org. We also really appreciate it if you would fill out the survey when it pops up because we want to know what worked for you today on the program and what we could do better. By tomorrow morning, we'll have all the elements from today's show up on our website, so do take advantage of that there. Also, you can find it on iTunes. So we have a great group of people who help make this program possible. There are Mike Sweeney, Jameson Case, Jesse McCall, Alan Olisson, Vicky Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Matt Morse, and Nicole Wells. We also continue to use some fun original arrangements um, that open and close the program. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care most of all for the Institute. For Healthcare Improvement. Thanks for your wonderful participation, everyone. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day.